Welcome to Force Points to the Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Erica Pierce to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Now, let's get to the point. Hi, welcome to To the Point Cybersecurity. This is Carolyn Ford standing in for Erica Pierce. And of course, I'm joined by Eric Trexler. How are you doing, Eric? Doing great, Carolyn. I almost said Erica. I feel like, you know, it's just the three of us now. It's you or Erica. It's you're not always standing yeah. in. Yep. Well, I just said your name's super weird too. So there's that. Well, if um, I call you Erica, forgive me in advance. But who do we have today? What are we talking about? Yeah, of about? course. Well, today we have Dylan Connor, and he's the CTO for ID Technologies. Hey, good morning, Dylan. Good morning, Carolyn and Eric. Thanks for having yeah, me. Thanks today. for being here. So, you know, we. I want to jump right in. We talked about um, discussing CSFC today. Which is? Um, exactly. Exactly, Dylan. Which is? What is that? How does the solution become CSFC, co- considered to be CSFC? Talk to me like I'm your mom. Nope, don't do that. That's a, okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> Okay. I'm very delighted to my mom. Dylan, to kick us off, it's Commercial Solutions for Classified. It's an NSA initiative to better protect the DOD and the intelligence community and and even the civilian government if they want to take advantage of some of the capability packages, right? So so what is it then? Yeah, correct. So so as you stated already, um, the program is a Commercial Solutions for Classified. There are several... um, uh, capability packages, which define ways to implement technology to allow a number of use cases. And there's basically there's basically two ways to use the platform. You can use it to send data, or you can use it to store data. And those are referred to as a data and rest and data at transit capability packages. And as subgroups, you've got the ability to connect users to the enterprise, um, users to a wireless infrastructure, um, enterprise locations to each other in the site to site. And then you also have the ability to implement what's called a data at rest capability packages, which is useful if you want to be able to use your system when you're disconnected. So what is the significance, though, of CSFC in general? Like, why wouldn't I just go to a company or develop my own solution? I, I don't, I guess I don't understand why this matters. Yeah, so at a more basic level, um, there's basically two types of encryption. Um, there's type one, which is U.S. government controlled encryption, which is in common use today for the types of use that CSFC has has been built for. And then there's type two, which is essentially everything else. And what the CSFC program has done is taken a selection of um, technologies involving different cryptographic algorithms, um, which is just a way to protect the data, and created a reference architecture that's essentially just a guideline for for using commercial products um, to secure information in a way that's equivalent to a US controlled um, encryption. And there's a couple of reasons you might want to do this. Um, one is that U.S. government-controlled encryption can't be shared with our partners. So if we're in a coalition uh, mission space, it makes it very difficult to give partners access to the government, uh, to, to U.S. government networks. And the second is that there's very specific rules for handling and certifying type 1 encryption devices, and that creates a significant burden on the U.S. government. So you have to be certified to work on the gear, the user community that's qualified to work on the gear and operate, it's much smaller. So when you use commercial solutions, your entire network engineer community of interest is able to assist 
in the delivery of these types of products. And, and I mean, the bottom line is it's, it's using, instead of government off the shelf or government created software, the, the NSA is trying to bring commercial, commercially available products to market, or not to market, but to, to bear, to solve some problems in an accredited or certified manner that they know provides the level of, of uh, security required. Is that fair? That's totally fair. And I, I don't want to downplay the security efforts of the vendors in the space. I mean, they, they everyone who plays in the CSSC space takes takes security very seriously. And they spend a lot of money and time um, certifying their products against U.S. government standards, um, using government U.S. government um, uh, guided technology implementations. Um, and there's a, there's a, a, a laundry list of efforts that the vendor community takes to um, certify products for use on this type of this type of platform. So, if I'm a government agency, what I'm hearing is, if I go with like a, a CSFC certified or on the list, I can implement faster, and I can share with people that I wouldn't necessarily be able to share with if I used a government solution. Um, a government-owned solution, yeah, to a certain extent that's true. Um, where you really get the benefit is the fact that um, the life cycle, the, the, the benefits of commercial innovation come to your market much faster. So as you can imagine, you know, government-owned and government-controlled security um, implementations change very slowly. And that's with good reason. They're very cautious with good reason. The commercial world has got the entire weight of industry innovating all the time to bring different features to bear on the market. And those, those features become much more rapidly available to users of the technology when you implement the CSFC. Um, well, and theoretically lower cost too, right, Dylan? Absolutely, especially in O&M, especially in the operations and maintenance, because you, again, as I said, your security set to operate a CSFC infrastructure, the, the, the skill set is a, is a much broader skill set and the technologies are much are much more broadly understood, and there's more people who are sort of So, Carolyn, an example might be instead of using type one encryption, um, you, you can use multiple certified VPN capabilities uh, that come commercial off the shelf. You just you you layer them layer them essentially. You've got dual VPN to provide that same level of encryption um, uh, capability, if you will. It's to almost, uh, I don't want to use the word certify, but to, to ensure that the encryption meets the requirements that NSA dictates for classified information. Dylan, fair? Yeah, the process is, yeah, that's fair, Eric. The process is actually called registration. So when a, when a, from, a, from a timeline perspective, when a customer decides they have a requirement for a CSFC capability package, um, there's really a, a few steps. Um, the, first, the first step is to actually um, either uh, engage a CSFC um, NSA trusted integrator, which is a community of integrators who are qualified to design, implement, and operate CSFC infrastructure, or there are government customers who are themselves trusted integrators. So it's either to engage the service of a government or commercial trusted integrator. And then that trusted integrator will take the requirements from the government and apply the capability packages and the system design to that requirement to develop a bill of materials and reference architecture for that customer. So this sounds like a no brainer. Like does everybody just already do this? That's a great, it's a great question. So, so what's happening right now in our world and the prevalence of work from home has really brought CSFC into, into the forefront. Um, in the past, CSFC has been seen as an enabler for 
um, very specific mission-focused activities. And what's happening today is that everyone is looking at CSFC at the enterprise level. And that does create an additional level of complexity when you move from several dozen or a couple hundred users into the several thousands or tens of thousands of users, there is definitely a consideration in the network design and operations of that platform. Well, we can't put a type one encryptor in everybody's house, correct? Correct. So Carolyn, an example, one of the solutions I was aware of, the, the cost per user with the type one encryptor and all the other equipment and everything else was about $150,000 or so. Oh my gosh. Um, per user. Right, using commercial solutions for classified brought that down into the ten thousand dollars per user range. You know, a significant, yeah, it's 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 a significant cost savings. Yeah. So when, when you do it, then what? I mean, what's the drawback of not doing CSFC? Like, what are, are there barriers? There must be barriers to entry, right? What we're, what we're doing right now in this podcast is trying to reduce those barriers to entry. Entry. It's it is a it is a in large part uh, a lack of information about the CSFC program. Um, it, I find there's a lot of education we have to do when we talk to customers about the capabilities of the, of the program. So getting it out there, marketing it as a capability for our government customers is an important thing um, to do in the sense that I, I think the main barrier to entry is probably ignorance. Now that's, that's a good point. I think commercial solutions for classified has been around, we're probably coming up on Dylan, what, a decade? Yeah, if not more. I mean, it, it's been around a long time. One of the initial designs, as I understood it, back in the day was to to get away from certifying specific products, but, but certifying solutions or capability areas so that a customer could uh, say, hey, I, I need to set up a, uh, a wireless network in the office. Well, what does that look like? Is that okay? What technologies do I need? As opposed to having them each go out and individually put things together. Fair, Dylan? Yeah, that's fair, Eric. I, I think it's what really is really interesting about the genesis of the CSFC program is that it came from very operational use cases. So you had people deploying into extremely dangerous environments and extremely um, sensitive environments that they didn't want to bring type 1 encryption because there's a very real chance that the assets that they're carrying would be intercepted or controlled by adversaries. Um, if it's in an uh, airport checkpoint or in a tactical field location, the desire was to have truly drop it and forget it type technology in case they had to bug out quickly. Okay, so other than other than awareness, what are the other downsides you've seen? So the implementations are complex. There's there's no question. It's not and easy. Every, yeah, it's not easy. Um, every CSFC... It's harder, it's harder than just a, like a type 1 encryption implementation? It's different. Um, type 1 encryption has a very um, specified path, um, and it's a very known infrastructure. It is difficult to implement, but the difficulties are more known by more people than the CSFC implementation. The CSFC implementation is a, is a problem of, of scale, not skill. So there's just more things to do in CSFC. They're much easier to do individually. There's just more of them. And when you, when you talk to someone that's not familiar, that complexity can be off-putting, but it shouldn't be. So give us a story, Dylan, where you've seen in your experience the benefits of CSFC in action. You don't have to name any vendors or anything, but, you know, let's, you know, this is where it's really been a benefit to the U.S. government and, and, and the people. Well, and, and sorry, before you give us the story, is CSFC something that's broad across cybersecurity technology? Is, does it have a, a niche? Yeah, it's for all, it's for all national security systems. Um, okay. For, for, for data in transit or data in flight. And Eric, I mean, the benefits of CSFC for our customers, you know, I won't name the customer or the vendors, but the capability to access your network while you're not in an office 
is totally transformative for a number of our constituents. You can imagine who they are. Um, the, other the other application of CSFC is the application of cross-domain access solutions within a CSFC environment. And you create the ability for users to be able to work from home in certain scenarios, just as if they were in the office. And that's actually a specific customer benefit we're seeing right now um, with one of our customers. And, and that's timely with COVID-19 and work from home and remote access. So as the workforce becomes more distributed, we're not going to order enough type one encryptors and get them deployed. That makes sense. That's right. And, and, and honestly, and honestly, we probably don't want to. Um, type one will always have a place. Um, there's no question that there's certain information, certain networks that will always have a requirement for type one encryption. But the broad applicability and the relaxed controls and the relaxed risk to the government of implementing CSFC makes it a very attractive choice for enterprise level deployments. Okay, so if you could fix one thing, you're, you're king for the day, I love this question. What would you change in CSFC? How would you make it better, easier, faster? So the, there are certain requirements around specifying very specific implementations of a product for CSFC. Um, picking a, a server vendor, picking a hypervisor vendor, picking a service provider, the ability to certify against components that is less constrained would, would really increase the flexibility of solutions with very little increased risk. Meaning, that would be one thing. When you say that, what I'm thinking is it's, it's almost like FedRAMP or common criteria where there's a select list of components and capabilities that you can pick. And if it's not on that list and you want something, you can't use it. That's correct. And it's funny you should say common criteria because that's exactly what governs um, the CSFC program. Um, the, and, and, and the choices are really arbitrary. So when you're getting a product certified with common criteria, the vendor selects how they implement. And so some vendors are very specific in their choice of implementation to benefit their product, which I can understand the motivation. But the, but the, the, the stated desire of the CSFC program, program office is to make these solutions flexible and um, cost-effective and easier for customers to adopt. And forcing a customer to adopt a technology baseline that they're not familiar with simply to maintain an accreditation that is almost entirely arbitrary, to me, runs counter to the goals of the CSSC program office. Okay. So five years from now, Carol and I get you back on the podcast. What has CSFC brought to the government customer? You know, where are we? Widely deployed? So where I think we go? I, it's a great question. I think five years from now, Carol and Eric and Dylan will be having this podcast over a CSFC secured solution because the goal of the community should be to bring this level of protection to every user everywhere. Um, but for the government, it means the flexibility to do their mission from anywhere that they have to be in, in any scenario. I, I I remember after um, Snowmageddon back in DC here in 2011, I think the government shut down for all three or four days and it was just a catastrophe. Those types of incidents should not bring our government to its knees, especially for the support and administrative personnel that really they're not deployed and they're not a tactical scenario. It's a question of access to a physical office space that doesn't bring a lot of benefit except for perimeter physical security. Yeah, it's interesting. You read through the capability packages, and I don't have them memorized. I actually pulled them up earlier today. You've got mobile access. You've got campus uh, uh, WLAN. You've got multi-site connectivity, data at rest. I mean, all things for a distributed workforce. I, I, I love that vision, right? We should all have, you know, NSA-level certified encryption between from site to site, yeah, point I, to point. I, a light bulb just went off for me when you said that, Dylan. I was like, yeah. 
everybody should be doing this, not just the government. And, and, is, and it's especially, um, especially important in our community of interest, the vendor community of interest. This should be something that we are all striving towards. Um, something that as uh, supporting this mission, you know, we're not the, the government, um, government employees are not the only people who have sensitive access to who have access to sensitive information. And they're not the only people that need to take that seriously. And there's a number of NIST requirements around securing uh, contractor controlled data the same way that um, the government's supposed to. But what, but what we should strive for as a community of interest is that we should all adopt this level of, of, of security for our own infrastructure because we are also targets and it makes, it makes the case for enterprise application of CSFC easier for the government to adopt if industry has decided that it's a valid way of accessing and controlling information. So, so let me ask you this. I, I don't know if this would apply, but you know all the Zoom craziness going on sure. where people are busting in. Would that help eliminate that if we were using these kind of technologies? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh-huh. When you put together an end-to-end solution secured by CSFC, there is no Zoom crashing. It doesn't happen. Because the, the connection to the application uses to bring the users together is not available to people who do not have an accredited system. And it's important to realize this is an end-to-end system. Um, it is from the customer's data center to the customer's endpoint. And if you don't have the whole solution in place, you can't access the information. And that's why it, it addresses your, your Zoom use case. Right, you're not talking if you don't have the whole solution put together. That's right. Yeah, that's that's that, right. To me, that's yeah. that's the beauty of it. It's It's got to get simpler. It's got to get faster. It's got to get cheaper. But everybody wants yeah. secure encrypted communications, or they should. I mean, it's no-brainer. Yeah, but and, I mean, you guys have just said it. it is cheaper. It is faster. So hopefully... Well, so the goal, the, the goal of the organizations involved in CSFC should be to make CSFC a, a decision, a business decision, not an operational or accreditation decision. The, the government should be able to say, you know what, for this use case and this user, I need CSFC. And that should be that easy. The way it is to do um, FIP, FIP certified. Um, do most of your customers appreciate common solutions for classified? Like, do they, I, I know it's complex. I know it takes time and effort, but do, do they appreciate what it's driving to you and, and the fact that it helps secure their operations? 100%. I think that if, it, if they didn't embrace CSFC already, you wouldn't see any implementations because think about it. So the CSFC community today, as I said, has been has been limited to um, smaller um, pieces of the pie, but they're still doing it. Um, the users that use CSFC today are users that literally we spend any amount of money we have to to protect and ensure their mission. Because how do you place a value of national? How do you put a dollar value on human life or or national security? So if there's a question of money. It would are, we would never have CSFC implementation. It's also a question of security and flexibility. So 100%, um, the users have already embraced CSFC. What's happened with COVID-19 and the, and the shutdown is that the government agencies have realized, well, holy, holy crap, I have an entire superset of users that also need this type of security to work from anywhere because there, there's plenty of scenarios where they can't come into the office. Well, and like we just said, I mean, it's not just government. Look at our educators. They can't yep. use Zoom right now. So if they had this in place, then they could. Actually, they can use Zoom if they're on ZoomGov. There we go. Right? So, so that is an acceptable. And there are other there are other components that that they uh, that are authorized. I think that I think that the, the 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 big message here is that if we could if everyone could afford CSFC, everyone would have it. 
or should yeah, be. good point. Good point. Um, what we're look what we're looking at here is the fact that you know these that we have a tiered security approach to who has what based on risk because it costs more money, and that's literally the controlling factor. If it was easy to use and cheap, everyone would have it everywhere, and that would make the world more secure. Which is interesting. We had Kitty Arrington from CMMC on a couple of months ago, and she talked about $600 billion a year of intellectual property walking right out of this country. $600 billion? $600 billion, right? That's what they've measured. I had I was on a call with General Alexander, um, you know, ex-commander, director of NSA. He's now at IronNet Security, and he referenced over $500 billion. I, I, I had the same reaction, Dylan. I was like, that's a lot of money. I mean, that's almost, what is that, three quarters of the defense budget, right? Walking out the door every year from this country, you know, let's, let's look at spending a little money maybe in securing our communications and our infrastructure. We could probably take from that pot a loss. I think what you're going to see, Eric, with this research, with this re, this surgence of interest in um, CSFC, is the implementation of um, products that are designed to be secure in fact as well as secure in certification. So things like managed attribution, um, uh, zero trust, data access controls, those types of technologies absolutely have a place in the CSFC market, even though they're not part of the CSFC accreditation boundary. And you're going to see more vendors thinking more holistically about, hey, my risk, my risk profile just went from 10 or 20 people in country to 10 or 20,000 people around the world. How can I make this implementation better for my government customer? And that's something we're definitely seeing happen right now. Awesome. Yeah. Dylan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Eric, do you have any last parting questions? No, I, I think I'm good. I mean, this is something I've been working with for a decade now. And it's interesting. Yeah, and I, I'm fairly new to it, but good job explaining it. I definitely had a, it was eye-opening. Yeah, it's interesting excited. watching it evolve also. You know, it, initially, it wasn't going to be about any kind of products whatsoever. It was, it was initially designed as a partial replacement for common criteria and, and the cost of certification, um, and making things easier. It's, it's really evolved and come a long way. And Dylan, I, fascinating hearing the updates in your opinion. I, I think this is exactly what the government was striving for. Excellent. Yeah. Well, guys, thanks for having me. It was a really exciting opportunity to talk about this. And, and we are seeing a huge uptick in what our customers are doing. Cool. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. And thanks to all of our listeners out there. Please continue to tune in every week and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Let us know what you want, you want to hear us talk about. Until next time, thank you. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store 